0: This is Mark Steiner, and welcome to our latest podcast. In 1866, a treaty was signed between the Cherokee Nation and the United States of America after the Civil War that ensured that the people of African descent who were enslaved by the Cherokees, now known as the Cherokee Freedmen, would be allowed to be part of the Cherokee Nation. It's been fraught with difficulty ever since. On August 29th, a case was decided to allow the descendants of the Cherokee Freedmen to become full members of the Cherokee Nation based on that treaty. And we're following this story through the lens of some of the descendants, their lead attorney, and the journalist who brought it to our attention. The journalist is Jenny Monet. The story she wrote about the Cherokee Freedmen suit appeared in Indian Country today in Yes! Magazine. During the course of these conversations, you'll hear the voice of Marilyn Van, who is president of the Descendants of Freedmen of the Five Civilized Nations. She was lead plaintiff in the case against the Cherokee Nation. Perlene Boyate, whose ancestry is both Cherokee and African, and she's trying to be allowed to join the Cherokee Nation now. And John Vili, who was the lead counsel for the Freedmen. The music you will hear throughout the program was performed by a group known as Three Generations, with a Z at the end honoring their African and Native heritage. We begin our conversation with Jenny Monet, the journalist who brought this story to the nation's attention. We talk with Jenny Monet about how she discovered this story, what its history is, and what the freedmen meant.
1: I'd
2: like
3: to tell people that... um, You know, the story of the Cherokee Freedmen and other Freedmen diaspora within Indian country is really the 40 acres and a mule that never really happened post-Civil War in the United States. And it's a story that's sealed by treaties. I think what we've seen just in a mental unpacking in the media over the last decade or so around this story of the Cherokee Freedmen in particular is one couched in race. You know, a bunch of black people trying to get into an Indian tribe, and that's even been pre- perpetuated within the Cherokee Nation itself under a leadership that spent millions of dollars to try to keep these people out of the tribe. But the reality is, is that this story really has its its roots uh, predating the Civil War, at a time when the Cherokee Nation uh, was a diversified nation in a southern economy pre removal. If you know anything about um, Uh, Indian history, you know that a lot of these tribes that are in Oklahoma today were removed forcibly from what we now know as states like Southern Georgia and Florida, Um, you know, the Seminoles, the Cherokees, the Choctaws, the Creeks, they were all um, displaced into what what was Indian territory and what we now call the state of Oklahoma and with that removal, this crossing for the Cherokee, the Trail of Tears, a harrowing journey Alongside the Cherokee were these slaves and those those slave narratives have been documented. They've been embraced um, Certainly by families not only on the Cherokee descendants of of these ex-slaves, but also by Cherokees themselves and so you know, it's coming this 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 ruling that has um, Come to embrace the Cherokee freedmen and reinstate them as citizens of the of the tribe is It's a remarkable time uh, to also just look at their return and the return of their citizenship, because it's coming at a time when we're all really examining civil war history and and these narratives and um, and how they're playing out um, in in these kind of I guess alternative truths in a way.
0: So uh, you, you start the article in the Indian Country Today piece that you wrote with, and I was reading some of the things that she wrote about, Wilma Mankiller, the, the great uh, leader of the Cherokee Nation. And her quote was, the truth is that the practice of slavery will forever cast a shadow on the great Cherokee Nation. So I mean, this is, can you talk a bit about your perspective on this? Um, and we're going to hear from others just about, about the complexity of all this because it, it, I mean, it is about, obviously about race, but it's also about treaty rights. And the kind of intersection of the two and the complex history about how the Cherokees and others got into enslaving Africans in this country uh, or part of that system. Um, Some of them even fought for the Confederacy. So, I mean, this is it's a complex history. How do you parse that out?
3: Yeah. Well, over the course of 10 years, that's for sure. I was. I've been following this story since uh, the first real kind of modern reintroduction of the Cherokee Freedmen. the The reality is, is that the Cherokees have have been trying to exclude the Freedmen as second class citizens or not citizens at all since their emancipation in 1866. That's when the ex slaves were freed from uh, bondage from the Cherokee. Who had slave codes? They had. They have a well-documented history of slave codes that enforced this kind of bondage. So it's a it's a real rich, vibrant history that existed, and one can't um, dispute that. One also can't dispute the fact that when the the Cherokee freedmen were introduced to the tribe as citizens, that they were embraced as such. There was no question that after the treaty signing of eighteen sixty six. That the Cherokee Nation gave them, quote, all the rights as native Cherokees, which was also meant to go to all of their descendants. That treaty, though, and this is also should be noted, uh, the Cherokee even today feel like it was signed under duress because of what you have aptly stated, that that there was uh, this kind of punishment to the tribe for siding with the Confederacy, for um for being a part of the losing side and that this was somehow some kind of punishment or strong armness. Um, But what it really boils down to in all of these treaties at that time is it's, it's about land, right? It's about the parceling of land and and who gets to have control over the land. And in Indian territory, that was really what was happening. There was a, a great division. And so when you look at how the Cherokee freedmen are, are being, kind of discussed in the 1866 treaty, it's about how their allotments are going to play out and who gets what kind of acreage and how much percentage and who has the land holdings. And so the narrative that perpetuates over and over again from the treaty of 1866 until what we've now seen in 2017 is whether or not that treaty also meant certain kind of advantages to citizenship. And most often that's meant, um, The kind of proceeds of land titles at least that's what's been historically looked at any time The Cherokee would say for instance benefit from a land sale to this to the federal government For instance when it came time to divvy up those proceeds there was always this kind of conversation about well It's not really meant for anybody But the Cherokees by blood and that Cherokee by blood narrative has been something that just recycled and recycled Not only a century and a half ago but, but in modern times, in 2006, when the Cherokee Nation government under Chief Chad Smith spent millions of dollars and even into lobbying firms to try to oust the freedmen entirely from the tribe um, and, and under also the guise of tribal sovereignty, right? I mean, one of the most celebrated acts of tribal sovereignty is to determine one's own citizenship. And so that got into this kind of, um, I guess, uh, I think, conflicting kind of debate over who has the right to determine this. A tribal sovereign government who wants to abrogate its own treaty that granted rights to the Cherokee Freedmen and all of its descendants, should that be allowed, or should it be one for the courts to decide? And that really was up to the Cherokee Nation uh, to, to determine on its own. And as we saw in the first act of, one of the first acts of uh, in office under the new leadership and chief, Jim Baker was to take this case to the courts and let the courts decide, rather than for the Cherokee Nation to abrogate its own treaty itself to remove the freedmen or to embrace the freedmen on its own.
0: This has been winding its way through the courts for a long time. In writing the article, you talked about the meeting that took place in April of 2006 when Chad Smith was, the, the, uh, the as you put it, the reigning chief of the Cherokees at the time. Um, and this battle has been going on about who, is, whether it's Cherokee by blood, how you define Cherokee by blood, um, the tens of thousands of 40,000 number of, of African-Americans who s- say they're descendants of freedmen. So the court decided that this was, this was a treaty case and that the African-American descendants of the freedmen should be allowed to be members of the Cherokee Nation. Correct? Right? That's correct. And so, so, so what does that mean? Now? So, so, I mean, has it been accepted where um where where does it live live right now
3: the cherokee freedmen are citizens of the tribe so long as they can uh, prove some kind of uh, direct lineage to a freedman ancestor that was on the dawes rolls which is an uh an 1880s census that was Really created to for the parceling of land. I mean, it's all it's, what I'm saying again is this, this All these policies were always driven around the divi- division of lands and assigning of lands And in indian country the dawes act was about these allotments That were going to be parceled out to uh, indian citizens tribal citizens and so That remains the base role to this day the Cherokee Nation in determining its tribal citizenship, a citizenry that at this point is estimated around 350,000 people. And unlike other tribes, like my tribe, I'm a citizen of the Pueblo of Laguna, where we have a certain cap on um, blood, um, what's called blood quantum, it's a blood equation, you have to be at least a quarter Laguna Pueblo to be a citizen of my tribe. For the Cherokee Nation, they don't have those kind of blood limitations. So they can have somebody with the most fractionated drop of ancestry and they could still be a tribal citizen so long as they can trace their ancestry to the Dawes' Rolls, And that's the same kind of circumstances that will now exist and allow for el- eligibility for citizenship for the Cherokee Freedmen. Uh, so people like um, uh, Perlene Boyata, she has grown up her whole life with her grandmother saying that they had this kind of Friedman ancestry, but she had never really done the genealogical investigation to go and uh, validate those claims. And now she's got some work cut out for her. She's got to go through the archives, find the, the ancestor's name that links through a lot of genealogical calculus of birth certificates, death certificates, right? All of these kind of um, dots that she has to connect that will fall in sync with uh, what the Cherokee Nation um, has on their Dawes rolls. And if she can prove that, then she's a citizen of the tribe.
0: So clearly you thought her her story was very significant and emblematic of something larger because you spent the, the, most of the S yes Magazine article talking about Perlene Boyata's struggle around this. So talk about why you pulled her the story out and what's, what it is emblematic of for you and for all of us.
3: For me, what's emblematic of Perlene Boyata is that this has been a story that, that has been passed down from generation to generation in, in communities like Muscogee, Oklahoma. And if you know anything about Muskogee, it's a historically black town in Oklahoma that once thrived. And it also was a historic um, Cherokee freedman community in the early days of the formation of Indian Territory and statehood of Oklahoma. And so the roots there are strong. The people who've lived there have never really left. And so anyone who'd been told, yeah, we're Cherokee or we have these Cherokee ancestors, those stories have been. Recycled generation after generation Poyote a boyata is is not unlike a lot of the people in in these considered all black or all Freedmen communities There's another community. There's an there's a, a Friedman cemetery where ancestors of these freedmen, and that's not far from where Perlene lives And so what I think is significant and emblematic about her story is that there's a validation now uh, even without her actual citizenship sealed in the Cherokee Nation, she there's there's not a doubt in her heart that she's gonna that to her, she feels like she's going to have a successful genealogical search that will one day end in tribal citizenship that she has always said that she belongs. And that her story is representative of an estimated forty thousand people like her. So, a
0: couple of things really important here. I think you ended some of the article, one of the articles, talking about how this ruling by the courts and the agreement of the Cherokee Nation not to fight, fight it could have huge significance for the Native community and the Black community in America.
3: Oh, it's going to have a major impact. And I think number one, what's important is that the judge in this case really kind of spelled it out that he thread the needle so thinly that said, look. This is not an assault on tribal sovereignty and a, rights tribes, and a right to a tribe's right to choose its own citizenship. Let's be clear: this is, you know, this does not erode that right in any aspect. What this is, rather, is is bolstering up treaty rights. Um, you know, treaties were honored in this case, and we should all recognize and acknowledge that. And it's coming, yes, from a curious group of people, the Cherokee Freedmen, ex-slaves. And to be fair, let's just say that you know, many of these descendants of ex-slaves are likely Cherokee themselves, right? As much as any of the other uh, Cherokee citizens that might look phenotypically you know, white. Um, because the reality is is that uh, interracial relations were happening, you know, a century and a half ago, and this these are the descendants of those relations. Um, and so, you know, to even just... Um, boil it down or whittle it down to a by blood issue which really the kind kinda of came this kind of racially charged campaign about ten years ago led under Chief Chad Smith. Um, it just was it just was even out of touch even for the Cherokee themselves. And that's really where it got clouded in a narrative around race, when in fact this is this is and has always been a treaty rights issue.
0: And now we talk with John Veely, who is the lead counsel on this case for the Cherokee Freedmen. John Veely begins telling us about the origins of the case and why he took it and what precedence this case was filed under.
4: Well, this case is 14 years old. Um, We filed it um, in 1993 um, because of a couple other cases that I started um, 24 years ago um, on behalf of the Seminole Freedmen. And... um, we won the seminole Freedmen cases. The United States took our side finally at the end, during the end of the Clinton administration, and um, would not let the uh, Seminoles vote their freedmen out. And when they did, uh, we both joined up and then won two actions called Seminole Nation versus Norton, and then what we call Norton Two in 2000 and 2002. So in 2003, um, the Cherokee Nation wanted to remove the United States uh, from oversight that it had in its constitution. That was part of its constitution. And so the head of the Bureau of Indian affairs said, you can have the election. Uh, we're, we're glad for that to happen, but, um, you know, you, you have to let the freedmen vote. You can't subsequently vote the freedmen out. And the, um, what they call the principal chiefs act still applies. So the Cherokees disregarded it, had the election, didn't let the freedmen vote. And, uh, And then so we rewrote a letter, and uh, the the BIA's initial um, uh, response was this was identical to the Seminole Friedman situation, which it was. And so uh, a lobbyist by the name of Jack Abramoff, maybe you remember him, um, got involved, and uh, they changed their mind. And so we then sued the United States um, for being arbitrary and capricious, which is a um, a term of art that you use when you sue a government official under what's called the Agency Procedures Act. So because they were took a, a different position than they initially did on this particular situation, it, it, it rose for a case. We never thought it would have to take this long, um, but, you know, we were dealing with a new administration, and, and it did. So 14 years later, um, we were able to win the lawsuit for Maryland. We also uh, defended... A lawsuit where the Cherokees in the middle of our lawsuit uh, selected randomly five freedmen and then appointed a, a an attorney to represent them in and filed suit in Oklahoma and then those five freedmen uh, decided they would let let us represent the pro bono so we were able to get that case and then merge that with Maryland's case try them both in d c and we went all over to the court of appeals and then back to the district court and then you know recently. Uh, that Judge Hogan uh, laid down his decision, which was in line with what the Seminole Friedman case was, you know, <laughs> 24 years ago or, or 14, 15 years ago.
0: So a couple of things, here. just very quickly. What, what did Jack Eberwolf have to do with this case?
4: Well, um, he was able to persuade, I guess it was him. Um, we know that he was the lobbyist on it. He was, was able to persuade the United States government um, to take a different position, Um with the Cherokee Freedmen than at that of the Seminole Freedmen that the United States had assisted with us to defend
0: to their keep, rights to and keep the get freedmen them freedmen out the of the nation.
4: The seven the Seminole Nation had kicked their Freedmen out of the nation. We had then uh, went to court and got them reinstated. Then one year after the those lawsuits played out, the Cherokee Nation um, had an election and didn't let their Freedmen vote to. Uh, to change their constitution, and that's when we jumped in, and the initial, like I said, the initial position of the U.S. was that it was identical, and then they changed their, their uh, mind. There was lobbying that went on during that process, and Jack Abramoff was that lobbyist.
0: So I know you don't try these cases on the base of history, but I'll ask a historical question in a moment, but you, you, you sure. tried this case on the basis of a treaty done with the Cherokees in 1866, after the Civil War, is that correct? That's correct. So, what was that moment in history that caused that treaty to happen, and what did it say, and what was the basis of the lawsuit?
4: Yeah, so it's so great question, um, and it, this is this is as much history as, as law. I mean, it, it was fantastic and uh, to be part of all this and, and understand this, and uh, not many of us as lawyers as lawyers get to be involved in something that that is so rich in history and to learn so much about. Um, these fantastic people, the Cherokees are, are fantastic people, the Freedmen are fantastic people, and um, this, the, uh, the Treaty of 1866 um, had to be signed because the Cherokee Nation had um, uh, signed a treaty with the Confederate States of America in 1861, and had fought on the side of the South um, to defend the regulation of the slave industry, and so... You know, when this, when the Civil War was over, and, and a lot of people don't know this. Historically, the last, uh, general to surrender in the Civil War was Stan Watie, who was the chief of the Cherokees, um, uh, months after Robert E. Lee laid down his guns. So, um, and then the last battles were actually in present day Oklahoma, where, you know, in and around the Cherokee Nation. So the, the Confederates granted the, the Cherokees uh, seats in their legislature, both in the Senate and, and their House of Representatives, and rank in their military, so they're very much part of of that war. And because Cherokees were a were a, a sovereign nation, and matter of fact, Cherokee citizens did not become U.S. citizens along with other Native Americans until the 1920s, um, there was a need to sign a treaty. Uh, the I don't think there's ever an issue that the 13th Amendment would prohibit slavery um, was would, would have uh, bound the Cherokee Nation, although that was somewhat of a question in our case. Um, and there was a 1964 Civil Rights Act of the Emancipation Proclamation. But because these were sovereign nations, a treaty was required to ensure that slavery would no longer exist within any jurisdiction um, within the United States, which would include Indian country.
0: So, and this treaty said that the freedmen were part of the Cherokee Nation.:
4: Yes, uh, specifically, section nine said that the the former slaves and other free blacks that lived amongst the Cherokee would be um, equal to the native uh, citizens.
0: so the, the, some of the conversations we've had have also indicated though that even though the suit was won that that um, uh, people were being denied. The right to become part of the Cherokee Nation because he didn't have the right paperwork, couldn't prove things. So, what what is going to what, yeah. what 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 is uh, what's the result of this the suit in terms of what may come next? It seems like there's still a lot of controversy existing, even though the chairman of the tribe uh, has said he accepts the ruling. They will accept the ruling.
4: Yeah, well, well, right now, I'd have to say we're we're pretty happy, and and maybe I'll just say so far, right? Um, but, you know, the, the, the Cherokee Nation officials have, um, could have appealed, they hadn't, uh, could have waited for the appeal period to run to do anything about it. And they, you know, to their credit, um, uh, you know, uh, Chief Bill John Baker, Principal Chief Bill John Baker and and the Attorney General Todd Embry have, uh, you know, accepted the decision and have been enrolling Freedmen, And that's, uh, uh, you know, that's. That's great. You know, we're we're happy with that, and and in addition to that, have made overt statements of inclusion and have talked about healing and and uh, they've had the the annual Cherokee uh, festival, um, which happened just a few weeks ago and and happened right on the heels of this decision. Uh, Cherokee Freedmen were in floats. Uh, you know, the, the the chief took pictures with them. It was uh, you know a really a really good situation. Um, you know, so far so. Well, what our job now is to uh, the case isn't over. This was a motion for summary judgment. There's some things we have to tie up, and so as lawyers, we will um, we'll get together and, and uh, look at um, you know how to, how to finish this off, and, and hopefully um, this issue doesn't doesn't occur again. Although that's always a possibility.
0: Yeah, it just sounded, talking to uh, um, Perlene Boyata, that there were still some real loose ends here because she's not been able to be accepted or her paperwork accepted because she didn't have proof.
4: So to prove you're a Cherokee, you would have to show birth and death records leading back to this role in 1906 and then find somebody you know directly up the line in your family that's on it and to be able to prove it. So this is, a, this is a struggle that all Native Americans and all Cherokees have, um, if they have a trouble, if they have trouble proving that, right? So, I'm not sure the details of this person, but I haven't heard yet, and I, I assume I would, but that doesn't mean I would. That, that Cherokee Freedmen are being turned down on the basis of being Freedmen. Um, all Cherokees would have issues if they're having difficulty proving those things. Whether or not that that in fact truth exists, it's the proof. It's the
0: issue. So finally, what what, what to you is the significance of this case and where do you think it takes us um as a nation well the home of it as a nation it's
4: it's, it's fantastically significant on a, on a couple levels number one it's very difficult to defend a an individual native american against either of his nations or her nations right the, the being the cherokee nation or the united states and and find redress in the courts uh The sovereignty of these countries are strong. It's difficult to get in the court, and so the fact that we were able to get into court, maintain it over, God, well over a decade to find uh, relief on the merits is is rare in itself. The significance of it uh, is that that you can find justice for an individual Native American around their identity or membership or citizenship or disenrollment, which are, which are sort of the ugly underbelly of what's happening in Indian country right now. People being tossed out of the tribes based on, you know, all sorts of uh, reasons, uh, some legitimate, some not. Um, And so the court, we argued and the court agreed with us that you can't revoke a treaty unless you say you're revoking a treaty. And if they had been successful in, in, in omitting their freedmen from their case under that argument, then that would put all treaties at, at, um, at issue So you could find some act at some point that had something to do with the same subject matter and saying it revoked the treaty on this part of that part. Right. And so we're very happy with that. And, and it's a, it's, it's also a, a victory for, um, you know, against, uh, racial divisiveness, you know, the Cherokee nation is, is a nation of people. And, uh, And and just because these citizens derive their um, citizenship status because they descend from slaves doesn't mean they have any less of a citizen in their nation or any others. Uh, And then the treaty defended that. And so um, in this era or this moment in time where we're having so much racial divide in America, it's nice to see uh, this go the other way. And it's really nice to see the Cherokee Nation officials uh, not double down, and not make it worse, and say it's a time to heal their people. So, you know, we've been we fought this 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 case during the time of Obama, and we fought it during well, the time of Bush and Clinton, for that matter. But um, you know, it was interesting that there was a there was a place in the jurisdiction of the United States that you could have laws that uh, you know, prohibited equality based on descending from a slave. Right? I mean, that just seemed preposterous. Now in America, those sorts of you know, uh, happenings and, and racial divides all over the place, and and here we have a nation deciding to heal itself, um, while our larger nation is is in the throes of those issues. So, I think it's significant on all of those issues um, as well.
0: Now we meet Marilyn Van. She's the president of the descendants of Freedmen of the Five Tribes, and she was the lead plaintiff in the case against the Cherokee Nation. Marilyn Van tells us that she always knew she had Cherokee ancestry and the journey she took to learn about freedmen history, representation, and her Cherokee and African heritage.
2: Well, um from the time I was a small child, I knew I had Cherokee Indian ancestry. Um my father told me when I was 5 years old when a a boy he asked uh, I didn't know he was white, he asked in kindergarten, he asked me what kind of an Indian I was. Um <laughs> uh, and um uh, my father said, "Well, we uh we're Cherokee Indians, but we uh, uh but we also have colored blood, which none of that meant anything to me." But uh uh, and as, because my father was relatively elderly when I was born, he became ill when I was in junior high and kind of lost his memory. So I wasn't able to get a lot of information from him. And I, I did know my father was a member of the Cherokee Nation, and that uh, you know he had a tribal enrollment number. I knew he had received some land. I, I didn't know exactly how that was or anything about it. Um, as um, as I went through. Uh, You know, living my adult life, uh, uh, college, marriage, having a child, uh, building my career. Uh, I wasn't living in eastern Oklahoma. I grew up in Ponca City in a neighborhood where mm, probably half the people were Ponca Indians. I had, so I guess I I grew up in an Indian community, but I wasn't a Ponca. Uh, So, uh, but... It came to two thousand and one where I was at a pretty good time in my life. My daughter, she's an only child had um you know was was pretty much on her way um uh, and uh, uh not a not a baby anymore uh you know the career was in a pretty good place and uh so it's kind of like well, you know, I'm in a good position to maybe do some service for my tribe oh now before I applied um uh, I knew my father and his father had used uh, a couple of different names, and I I didn't have the roll number or the exact name that I needed in order to apply for the tribe. I found an elderly relative who did, and so I was very shocked when I sent this application in that it was rejected. And it said something about there not being a degree of Indian blood associated with this roll number. It meant nothing to me. Uh, but I'm not a person who uh, can just be dissuaded from things. So I call the tribe. I call the Bureau of uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Um, I'm, I, as I said, I'm an engineer. I am not. Uh, I'm not an attorney, but I've had a lot of legal training, uh, you know, legal about legal research and federal procedures because of the job that I had. Um, and. So I began to research and investigate this. And the the more I found out about it, the more I saw it was a scam. Then I found out there was nobody really doing anything about it right then. So I told my daughter, hey, uh, uh, we're going to have to get organized. We're going to have to, you know, raise some money. We're going to have to get people around us. I said, it may take a while, but uh, this is something serious. So in late 2002, the organization was started. In 2003, the lawsuit was filed, um, and we were on our way.
0: And the organization you're talking about is the Descendants of Freedmen of the Five Nations, is that right? Five tribes.
2: Right, Descendants of Freedmen of the Five Civilized Tribes Association. That's
0: correct. So, I mean, talk about the lawsuit. I mean, this battle and what happened. Because I mean, if you, as, as descendants of freedmen, I mean, by the Treaty of 1866, that that's where you were filed. That's where you, that's what you fought your case under. Correct.
2: Yes, that was the key issue, because normally tribes have the right to define their own membership. But the Cherokee Nation, uh, our position was that the Cherokee Nation had uh, given up that right when it came to the Freedmen people. Uh, and, and when the 1866 treaty was signed, yes, it was the end of the Civil War. But the the, the tribe, they wanted to restore that government-to-government relationship that they had broken when they joined the Confederacy, partly in order to keep uh, permanent uh, uh, persons of African ancestry. And of course, not every person with African ancestry was enslaved that was associated with the tribe. But the majority were. And uh, this was a primary reason for the tribe siding with the Confederacy uh so the eighteen sixty six treaty was a key component uh that uh that uh, the freedmen received our, we receive our rights through the treaty, and the u s has done nothing to change that um and um the federal judge agreed with it
0: so now I'm curious just how you felt you and your family and others around you who are part of this descendants of freedmen of the five civilized tribes i mean how did you feel just emotionally around all this issue. I mean, this is uh, 40,000 40, possible people who are descendants of freedmen who, who are now can be part of the Cherokee Nation with no questions asked, and the Cherokee Nation has agreed to it. I mean, I accepted the ruling, I should say. So, so, I mean, what was it like, the kind of discussions you had and, and how you felt about leading up to this moment and what this moment actually means?
2: Of course of course when the fight started, a lot of it was just anger. How dare people try to take away people's rights because they have you know they have a lot of money, they have more power. Um, how dare they try to rewrite history, pretend the freedmen people have not contributed to the tribe? Uh, and uh, and then when you watch tribal leaders spending millions of dollars on uh, filing uh, ridiculous briefs, lobbying efforts, you know, flying around the country trying to get other tribes' resolutions, uh, telling, lying to congressmen saying the freedmen are just some people, some black people who snuck in on land runs. It's angry. But some people, when they get angry, they give up. Other people, they just fight harder. And I can say for myself, uh, my father was a Baptist deacon, uh, and I grew up in a religious home. And so religious faith is important to me. And I and many of the people in the movement, we believe that this was what God, this was God's will for us to fight for our rights. And just as Dr. King and Dr. Abernathy and other people in the past, they fought for the right to vote. They fought for, for their rights. And we, we saw ourselves as, as people of color fighting for our rights in a movement ordained by God.
0: So, how, so what has happened since the since the ruling that said that the descendants of freedmen can are members of the Cherokee Nation? How has it changed your life? How has it changed the lives of people? What is the what's been the result so far?
2: Well, um, uh, of course, what the ruling meant was that the the the, the freedmen people who had been registered in the tribe, like myself, the tribe could not throw us out, you know, just unilaterally, and that the tribe would, based on the judge's ruling began to register our children, our grandchildren, nieces and nephews, people who there was a moratorium against them being registered. So um, it has has been a time of excitement. It has been a time of gladness, of thanksgiving. Um, And uh, um, as our people register to to take their rightful place in the tribe, um, we uh, not only, of course, want our people to vote and have a voice in tribal affairs, but uh also it's a way to um uh, encourage in, encourage and direct our young people that here are language classes here are history classes and also to be sure that the proper history is told so it is it's been a very so the last uh almost month it's been a time of of great of great joy for us
0: and so in in, in all that I, I I wonder about if this begins also kind of wrestling with what the history is and how it affects the future now that this has happened?
2: Well, um, we can, based on this victory, it will be easier for for us to make sure that those histories, those books about the Cherokee Nation, those films, that they include the fact that uh, there were persons of African descent who went on the trail, that there were persons of African descent that have served on the tribal councils, uh, that there are persons of African descent who were ranchers, farmers, uh, important community leaders, that people of African descent, uh, that it's fictitious that because a person of African descent, uh, a person of known African descent was listed as a freedman, that that meant that they had no Indian ancestry, that we can show how and why the Dawes' Rolls were made. Uh, this is important to us. Um, it's um uh, it's just as important to us uh as uh, people in, in Europe that that suffered under Nazi and other regimes i mean and certainly nobody was killing people right now but uh but to have your whole history to be wiped out to be almost classified with vermin i mean it it's an outrage for us, but as I said, I believe that we have a way now. To make sure or have input into history, the truth of the matters.
0: Finally, I'm just curious. what about conversations you may or have had since the ruling with other members of the Cherokee Nation, who are not African descended?
2: Well, uh, the majority of people, the majority of people that I encounter who, are, uh, who have no African ancestry, that are members of the tribe, uh, are, are happy. Uh, they have uh, they have congratulated us and wished us well uh there are of course there are of course some and and again I personally have have not ran into very many that are opposed to the freedmen there are some people that um uh, they don't some of it is racism some of them don't want persons of African descent in the tribe some of them want uh, there are some people that um they, uh, they feel the tribe ought to be made of people, uh, almost full-blood Indians. But again, remember, uh, so far as blood quantums, um, almost the vast majority of people in the Cherokee Nation, and not just the Cherokee Nation, other tribes like the Chickasaw Nation, are almost com- are completely Caucasian-looking. Not just them, but their fathers and their grandfathers before them. The tribe is nothing like it was a couple of hundred years ago.
0: And that was part of what I was reading about. That this same kind of uh, denial of rights of being part of the Cherokee Nation did not, never affected the people who looked Caucasian, looked white. Is that right?
2: Well, yes, that that is correct. Um, the persons that are uh, Caucasian-looking in the Cherokee Nation, um, they uh, when they appeared before the Dawes Commission, they were automatically written down as citizens by blood. The whole thing with putting people down as freedmen by the Dawes Commission, it was part of the land scam. Uh, the tribe, because a lot of people uh, were pouring into uh, what's now the United States and included into lands that the tribes owned, demanding land, demanding it the U.S. Uh, uh, divide the tribes' lands and give them or, to them or sell them to them cheaper. The U.S. put pressure on the tribes to divide the land. The U.S. passed a law that said uh, if a person was listed as a freedman, the land would be sellable. And again, we're talking about the tribal lands that were owned in common. That if a, if a person received an allotment and they were listed as a freedman, the land would be sellable sooner uh, than, with, uh, than if the person was given any degree of blood at all. And certainly not a high degree of blood. So the U.S. government, and they sent people here. That was what they were determined to do. So the majority of freedmen families, they had did lose their land allotment. So it was just part of the land scam. There had never been degrees of blood or blood quantum, these kind of concepts, within the tribes. It was just something phony, something uh, that was man-made by the U.S. government. I mean, what's your American blood quantum? <laughs> Aren't you a full-blood American? Well, that's how that's how a Cherokee... Would have thought hundred and twenty years ago, what do you mean? What's my degree of blood? What are you talking about? Blood quantum.
0: So finally, what's your hope for the future with this?
2: Well, my hope for the future is that um, the freedmen of the Cherokee Nation, that we we can uh, that we will be allowed to take our rightful place in the tribe, that we will our people will be serving as judges. As uh, as tribal council people, that um, our people will uh, work to build whatever communities we're from. My home tribal community is South Coffeyville in um, northern Oklahoma, um, and uh, that people will, as I said, build their own communities. Um, and that the and that the young people they will be going to the uh, language immersion classes. That they will be going to the Johnson O'Malley Indian education programs that uh, they will uh, not not see themselves as a second have to see themselves as a second or third class Cherokees uh, and and of course <clears throat> I hope that uh, this this uh, with, the, with the Cherokee Freedmen this isn't the end of it. Persons in the Creek Nation for instance they have been turned uh, persons Freedmen people have been turned out against their will in nineteen seventy nine They have no freedmen tribal members at all, and so um in the Seminole nation, the freedmen are uh are treated like second or third class citizens. The tribal leadership won't allow them to have any services going to medical clinics and the like, and they have even kept other tribes or try to keep other tribes from providing services to their freedmen tribal members and citizens. So, we want equity so far as the 1866 treaties, to other freedmen and other tribes. So, that is what we want. That's what we're looking for.
0: So, even though this case has been settled, it's a long way from being done. Many people who know they are part of the Cherokee Nation, who have Freedman ancestry among the Cherokees, still have to prove their connections. Now we're going to talk with Perlene Boyate, who we first met in the S yes magazine article written by Jenny Monet. Her ancestry is African and Cherokee, and Perlene Boyate shares with us her poignant story of finding out who she really is, where her people came from, and the history she learned, through the oral tradition of her grandmother.
1: Okay, well, my understanding of who I am comes from oral, tragi- oral tradition from my grandmother. And my grandmother had told us as children growing up that we were part Irish, which the name McLean validates and confirms that. But she also told us that our grandmother was half Cherokee and that her mother's uh, relatives were slaves to the Cherokee Indians. And so... With all of that information, and of course, when you're young, you don't even think about looking up any of that information or or writing down anything that your grandparents tell you. And so in my latter years, I started uh, looking to try to research my Native American
3: heritage,
1: and we knew that on the McLean side that there was a Cherokee lineage, but we also were told from my grandmother that on her mother's side, there was Cherokee. So we started searching and searching and searching and searching and searching and kept coming up with a dead end. then we um, discovered that my um, grandmother and her mother were actually denied being on the Cherokee Freedmen role. And I had since determined and later found out that uh, there was testimony upon testimony upon testimony to try to validate and confirm that they should have been on the Cherokee Freedman Roll. Even though they had relatives that were on the Freedman Roll, for whatever reason, they were rejected from the Freedman Roll. And that's basically all I know at this point. I do know that my um, grandfather and another sibling were brothers, and I do know that that brother is on the on the Cherokee Freedman Roll as well as some other Mcleans that are on the Cherokee Freedman Roll that were his first cousins. So I don't really know what happened with my grandfather and why that was why that he was not on the Cherokee Freedman Roll.
0: So I mean, how does just personally, I'm curious what this means to you um, in terms of your own identity, in terms of why you want to be part of the Cherokee Nation. Um, I mean, uh, so what? What's that? What? What about you personally? Why?
1: Well, personally, you know, of course, you want to be able to establish your identity, not just with the Cherokee Nation, but with any any uh, race that you are a part of. You want to be able to communicate that information to your children. And as an African American, sometimes it's very difficult to trace your heritage because of what happened pre-Civil War. And the slave trade that took place in this country, and then when you make a discovery that you were also a part of the slave trade of the Native Americans, that just kind of puts you aback and Even when I was reading the um information from the Department of Interior and having people refer to yes, they were slaves, yes they. They owned the darkies. Uh, no, I don't remember them yet. I knew them. Yes, I know them, but I don't remember them. All of that information was convoluted. It was almost as though they, the folks giving testimony were told to deny any existence of some individuals. And I guess as an individual growing up and not really knowing for sure your lineage, your heritage its just hearsay. It's just oral tradition, but you don't really know any particular facts as a child growing up. It, it's almost as though that you just sprung up from something and that you really never did really exist for anybody or anything. You just sprung up. <laughs> if, if you could understand what I mean by that. Yes, yes. I don't really know how to explain it. It's just like you were just a thought that came into being and Because someone did not agree that you were who you said you were, then you meant nothing. And it's not so much that that I am longing to become a part of the Cherokee Nation. I just want to long to know that I'm a part of somebody that I can put a pencil and paper to. And I have been able to do that. I have been able to put a pencil and paper to who I am but the fact that we were denied who we were. And I guess that's the thing that still bothers me
0: to this day. So you grew up in Muskegee, right? Muskegee, Oklahoma.
1: Yes, I grew up in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Muskogee, excuse yes. me,
0: Muskogee, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And you graduated from an all-black high school there.
1: Yes, I did.
0: And I remember segregation well.
1: Yes, I do. Very well.
0: So during that time, I mean, what were relations like between... Um, your segregated world in Muskogee and the native world of Muskogee.
1: Segregated. Segregated. There were certain communities that you lived in and you knew where the Native Americans lived, but you really didn't uh, associate with Native Americans. You really didn't associate with white Americans. Your association was mostly with black Americans. Almost 100%.
0: So your consciousness about your right to be a member of the Cherokee Nation, I mean, came and grew over the years.
1: Yes, it did. I guess I became more aware of it when I um, started school out at Northeastern State. I think it was Northeastern State University at that time um, in Tahlequah. And then you begin to see a mixture of uh, different races. And sometimes you just walk by people and you would wonder, hmm, I wonder are they related to me. And then after a period of time, you forget all about it because you grow up, you start your career, you don't think about it. And then one day it hits you. And I guess the, the, the time that it began to really take effect on me is when I saw the movie Roots with Alex Haley, and he had actually traced his lineage back all the way to Africa. And I thought, man, there's no way that I could trace our lineage back to Africa because we don't know anything about Africa. All we were told is that we were part Irish and we were part Native American. That's all we were told. And then I began to think about what my grandmother had told me, and then that's when I started to try to search. And I didn't really get into full-blown searching until computer. The
0: computer age world. One of the things that this is maybe taking a step backwards, maybe it's not a world that you are completely familiar with, but maybe it is. So the, the relationship, the historic relationship between African descended people and native people of five civilized tribes, five civilized yeah. nations. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a complex one that is, never, I mean, I, you know, when you research things, you don't see it explored very deeply in most places. You know, we know about right. you know people, people of African descent enslaved in this country, north and south. But this relationship right. between those five tribes who were pushed on the trail of tears out to Oklahoma and the relationship mm-hmm. with, with African-Americans is one that, in some ways, this lawsuit and what you all are discovering is just kind of unearthing a history that we don't explore very deeply.
1: That is absolutely true. On my father's side, um, my father's family... We're on the Choctaw Friedman role. My father's mother is on the Creek Freedmen's role. And of course, you don't know any of that when you're growing up. Nobody talks about it. Because, as far as you're concerned, you're black, you're a Negro, you're a colored person. You are now, as we're called, African American. We've been called so many names, we don't even have the time to know who we are. <laughs> You look at it as just being a part of life, and you really, you really don't know that it has affected you until you begin to do research, and then that's when you know the effect that it has on you. As I said before, it's almost as though your ancestors did not exist. It's almost as though the world said, shut up. Don't talk about it. You're an afterthought you're not a part of anybody or anything.
0: So what was it like for you once the ruling, the federal the federal judge made the ruling on August the 30th? Well, and what was that like? I, I
1: was, it, it was almost like a sigh of relief for the people that will be able to identify and connect with their heritage as they should have been. It was also a relief and a sign to me that there was acknowledgement that the freedmen were actually a part of the nation and that they were not separate but yet they were equal it was like a confirmation of what our constitution said we're all equal and i guess that statement and then when chief when the chief decided not to challenge the ruling That really had an effect on me, even though it it really was not affecting me, but it had an effect on me because it was like an aha relief that if he's in agreement that we're all one, then why wouldn't everybody else have that same agreement? Why wouldn't the rest of the tribes have that same agreement? Why wouldn't we just go ahead and let this thing be as it was because we're all a part of the nation.
0: So when you first stepped into the nation to register...
1: I have not registered. And why not? Because I cannot find the link. Everything that I see, everything that I have discovered is saying that we were rejected from the original dog role. And I understand, and I don't know how true it is, that there, because my grandmother used to say this all the time to us, that they could not reject us from the role, and that the court had ruled that we would not be rejected. So I don't know how true that is. I'm still looking for that document.
0: So, so you have to, you still have to prove who you're descended from.
1: I have to prove that I should not have been rejected from that original doll's role.
0: So, the 40,000 people they assume are descended from the freedmen who were enslaved by the Cherokees and are part of the yes. Cherokee Nation. Yes. So, even though the ruling took place, yes. this is not done yet.
1: This is not done yet. My, my grandmother's card, her mother's card, it has all of her siblings on there that were born at that time. And across it, it is stamped rejected. And then it says that they were denied on roll number 42, that they were denied on roll number 114, that they were denied on roll number 428, because my grandpa- my grandmother kept going, kept going back and kept going back and kept going back and kept going back saying, hey, I am a Freeman. My grandmother was a slave of you guys. I am a Freeman." And there was testimony after testimony after testimony, some validated some invalidated WW w. Hastings was one of the attorneys on the case. He did not allow some testimony according to the national national archives that are out there. So I don't know. I'm still at, in a place where I'm going, okay, this is never going to ever be found so- And if the other tribes do not follow suit with what the Cherokees did, then it's still as though, even on my paternal father's side, even on my paternal side, it's almost as though we don't exist as far as our heritage is concerned.
0: So, what do you intend to do, and what do you, and what do you want to see?
1: I want the I want to see the Cherokee Nation acknowledge that those Native Americans that were of black descent. Who were not allowed to be on the dog Freedman Roll, that they rescind that and allow those people to be on the Freedman Roll. Because all of the testimony that went forward, because there would never have been any testimony that had to take place had somebody not said, Okay, well, we doubt, because back then I think it was called doubtful, FD Friedman, doubtful. How could you be doubtful when you're looking at somebody? How could you be doubtful when somebody is giving testimony that, yes, they were a slave of this particular person? And then you're going to say, no, it's doubtful that they were this person's slave when they have relatives that were also slaves and they were on the freedman role? I don't understand that. I'll never understand it.
0: But the way the article ended in the conversation with you, with Jenny Monet, was sound like a Mm -hmm. woman who still had hope about all this.
1: I do have hope. And the reason why I have hope is because of what happened with the ruling. Because several years ago, nobody had hoped that that ruling would ever take place. So I have hope that a decision will be made up the road, it won't probably affect me because I don't have any grandchildren, it won't affect them and grandchildren, but it may be it may help somebody else. That one day the nation will say these folks should never have been rejected off of the roll. Maybe one day the other four tribes will say we need to go ahead and include the freedmen into our nation as well. That's the hope that I have.
0: This is a very complex story.
1: Yes, it is.
0: (laughs) Um, It's
1: so complex it makes my head hurt. It's so complex (laughs) that it makes my heart hurt. I hear that. It's so complex that I've cried. I've had emotions behind it. It's so complex that some of my siblings have said, forget it, Pearlene. Why are you still trying to find it? Why are you still trying to pursue it? We don't care, but I do. To by yeah. stop, stop,
2: I want to thank all of our guests today.
0: The great journalist Jenny Monet, Marilyn Van, who was the lead plaintiff in this case, and is president of the descendants of the Freedmen of the Five Tribes, Pauline Boyate, who is of freedmen and Cherokee ancestry, and is still fighting to be recognized as part of the Cherokee Nation, and John Veeley. Who is lead counsel on this case? The music you are hearing during this podcast is from 2007. It is performed and produced by a trio called Three Generations. They are three women of Native and African ancestry, celebrating both. The women you hear are Navashadea, Mama Ta'aska Hummingbird, and her daughter, Maimuna Youssef. You will find links to the articles written by Jenny Monet and to the music performed by Three Generations. If you go to steinershow.org to download our podcast. This is Mark Steiner, and thank you for joining us for our podcast. This show is produced and edited by Calvin Perry with assistance from our intern, Nora Belbidia. You can download this podcast and more at steinershow.org or on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching The Mark Steiner Show. And please let us know what you think. Write to me at mark, M-A-R-C, at steinershow.org, that's S-T-E-I-N-E-R, show.org. And while you're at steinershow.org, you can find the links to the articles by Jenny Monet and the links to the music of Three Generations. Thank you for listening.